Greetings. August 11th, 2021, episode seven of my podcast, the Uncommon Dialogue podcast. I have here with me Dr. Ed, as he like to be called, or Dr. Edwin Berry, author of the book, Climate Miracle, which I just finished a few weeks ago. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I noticed that you uh, have a whole lot of yellow clips in the book. Uh, here's one without all the clips. <laughs> it looks different. It can't fly like yours. Put them out soon. Don't, don't worry. Yeah. I, usually, I do this with all the books I read. Right. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about your book, Climate Miracle, and basically just start with the subtitle, which is there is no climate crisis, nature controls climate. Can you just elaborate on that? Well, what do they say? They always say that our carbon dioxide emissions are causing too much carbon dioxide in the air, and that's causing global warming. And then they'll say it, our carbon dioxide you know, from us sticks in the atmosphere for thousands of years. That's their whole claim. But I have simple math that shows, no, it can't stick in the atmosphere for thousands of years. It disappears in just a few years, okay, because of fast turnover. We can talk more about this, but it's the whole idea that um, carbon dioxide flows into the atmosphere naturally, and the humans add a little bit more carbon dioxide flowing into the atmosphere. We add about 5% more. Okay, one part out of 20 or so. Well, the natural carbon dioxide flows in and flows out. And the flow in and out essentially raises a certain level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. When we add 5% to that flow, we can't double the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We might raise it by 5 or 10%. But it flows out also just as fast as the natural carbon dioxide. Natural carbon dioxide, they call it sort of a turnover time, okay? they meaning the United Nations IPCC. So we may refer to that. So I just begin with what they say because that gives me a target to show that there's a problem with what they say. But right in their own literature, they say the turnover time, as they call it, is, is about four years, not a thousand years, okay, for natural. But then they turn around and say the human carbon dioxide sticks for a thousand years. It can't. Why not? There's no Be Because a carbon atom, okay, the carbon-12 atom is the same exact thing no matter where it comes from. In other words, the carbon atoms that we humans put in the atmosphere, you could not tell them apart. They don't carry a name tag that says this is from humans and this is from nature. Nobody can tell the difference. It flows out just as fast. So that's one step where the IPCC is caught totally they can't claim it's a long period now if it's not a long period of time and it flows out like nature there's no climate crisis okay and 
as I show in my own science articles, and I think I mentioned it in the book too, that if we were to stop all human emissions, I did it say at the end of 2020, the human portion decreases very rapidly. Okay, it just goes down and it disappears. It was, never, it was never very big to begin with, but it disappears right away. So there's no emergency. That's basically the idea. You, you touched on a lot of great points that I wish a lot more people knew that it just seems to be like out of sheer ignorance. Like once they start hearing like the actual logical and scientific points that you just listed, there's just yeah. a call that comes up. It always, it seemed like for years and years and years, like that wall of ignorance has just been like that when it came to people that took climate change or the climate crisis, whatever they're going to call it next. Sure. So seriously above everything else. Not, you, they think it's even beyond an existential level. They really do think that this is it right here. This is like, as some people say, World War Three. Like I've heard some people say that. And it just seemed like it's always been like that for years. Had, I mean, you've been on earth a lot longer than I have, and you've gone through the education ranks a lot more than I have. My question is, how long have, how long back do you think this kind of um, religious view of climate change has been around for? And when did you first start to notice it? Was it an undergrad, grad school, doctorate? You know? Yeah. <clears throat> When, um, when I went to school, I mean, both undergrad and grad, through my PhD, there was none of this climate crisis going on, right? And so, I mean, through the 70s, well, in the 70s, I was working at the National Science Foundation for a few years. That's when it came, they were worried about the, the earth getting too cold, right? So people were writing about that. that Oh, now it's going to get too cold and we're causing it, of course. But then it started to warm up again. And then they changed. Now it's too bad it's getting warm. But that wasn't exactly any, it wasn't as like we find today. I'll tell you when it really happened, as far as I could see. Somewhere in around 1980, and I kind of wish that I could remember the exact date, but I had my consulting business in atmospheric physics and climate. And I was in California at the time. And this is at the time when President Bush came in, the first President Bush. He, of course, is the one that implemented the United Nations climate whole thing on America. Well, I and all of my friends who were similar scientists like me, we all knew each other in California. We got invited to a meeting. Mm -hmm. and it was at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, as I recall. So we get in the big room. There's about 100 of us there, big slope room, a lecture room. And then comes a fellow from the EPA. This is the directions from President Bush or about to be President Bush. And he explained to us that, he says, well, he says, 
we've been supporting a lot of you guys with government grants. He says, the bad news is for you, that's over. He says, the reason is we're not concerned about research on climate anymore. We already know that we're causing a climate crisis. Now all we care about is how bad it's going to be. This is what he told all of us. And we're looking at each other saying, what is this? So remember, around 1980, life changed for people like me that were involved in this kind of research. Okay, I mean, the outside world didn't know yet, but we do. And then we watched various people that had government jobs, like being a state climatologist, and a, they got fired because they didn't toe the line that Bush wanted them to, essentially being that we were supposed to all agree that our carbon dioxide emissions were causing this severe global warming. Okay. Um, so they took the money and spent it in a different way. They spent it on ecologists who just looked at what the effects would be. Simplistic things like if all the ice on Antarctica melted, how much would the sea level rise, right? I mean, it's not gonna melt, but that was the kind of thing that they, they just paid people $100,000 for, but they wouldn't let any physicists into the business because the physicists didn't go along with this game. Or they could disprove it, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So that, that started the whole thing. Um, then eventually it got into people. <clears throat> then of course, in the 1990s, okay, we had people from the government talking to Congress saying it's gonna be a big crisis. Then Al Gore, he pitched it to 2006 or thereabouts. No, even before, he was in, a, in the 1990 and not too far afterward. But anyway, the government started pitching it. And then the media started pitching it. And now look what we hear from the media. I mean, every day I see another, you know, another article from Associated Press or somebody else. And they'll pick up a, a climate event and say, this is causing all kinds of problems. It could be some species is dying, forest fires, drought, and it all comes by, it's all due to climate change. And climate change is now defined as human caused climate change. Okay. So when I get into <clears throat> debates and talks, I always have to say, climate change usually used to mean just climate change. Mm -hmm. But now the pitch to the public is it's our fault. We're causing it, which isn't happening, right? It's a lot. But, it's a lot so it's a whole belief system now. Yeah, yeah. it turned into like an anti-human rhetoric. Yes, right. So, um, yeah, it, it goes at all levels. The universities, the university is pretty much totally controlled by the climate alarmists now. Yeah, there's no way. So, of they, so they, they pitch it to their students. Um, and then it begins to be political, right? Uh, and that, we'll put it this way. If it were real science, and in science, of course, there are always areas where scientists will have a difference of opinion. 
but you try to work it out with a data, with experiment or good science. But in the climate area now, it isn't worked out. They won't talk to each other, okay? Um, the local media will not let me on the air, for example, because they know what I'm gonna say. Even though I can present arguments in detail, from, you know, if I'm talking to a scientist, is the very, very few scientists in the climate now that are interested in that kind of a debate. It's either they feel they're all correct, and I'm stopping all this stuff we should be doing with climate, okay? So they partition people into political categories right away, and there, there really isn't very much um, real talk going on. I had noticed that, I mean, maybe a few years ago when it would make the headlines of like a California wildfire or a drought or any type of like media led weather event. And it just seemed to go from like, instead of the reasons of like what's actually causing it, they would just immediately jump to the conclusion of climate change. And I mean, I'm no scientist at all. I mean, I studied economics in college, but one thing I do know is that in science, and you have it said in your book too, which is basically science is always disproving itself later for a more efficient or more quali quality driven method. So sure. all you're doing really is just testing one theory against reality and see if it works out. But when you just jump to a conclusion and just say it's climate change or the climate crisis, you're not even taking the theory or a hypothesis and testing it against reality. You're just jumping to the conclusion. And it just seems that instead of having actual scientists on television, television talking about a drought in California or a flash flood in Texas or a wildfire, they will just bring on these activists and just have them rant on television for five or 10 minutes about the climate. And that's it. You know, this is, this yeah. is that's it. There's no debate to be had. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I just finished a revision to my main scientific article. Okay. And it's, it will be published in one of the major climate journals, which is big news for me because it's pretty darn hard to publish my side of the science in a major climate journal. Mm -hmm. But so I first submitted it a month or so ago. The reviewers liked it and said, hey, but you can also explain this and this. They gave some good thoughts. So I said, great, I'll, I'll do some revisions and clean it up. And so I finally got that done today of all things and set that in. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. By the way, I'm gonna put it on my website. I, I keep things up to date on my website, which is edberry.com. Mm -hmm. And so by tomorrow morning, people that wish can take a look at it. But in there, I mean, I, I cover pretty much the whole area of do we really, do our emissions even cause all the increase of carbon dioxide? That's the issue I address. And it's, it's very clear, we don't. 
would cause a very small amount. <clears throat> but nature causes most of it. And so the climate agreements are essentially saying if we shut down our carbon dioxide emissions, then the temperature will go down. It won't because we're a small part. We could kill off all humanity and the amount won't make any difference. In fact, an interesting thing is that, and I, I actually put up, this is one little section in, in my article. Since the COVID thing started, we people of the earth, in other ways, have reduced our carbon dioxide emissions by about 20%. Really? Yeah. In what ways? Yeah, I mean, we have. So now it's over a year later and the data is available. Did this change the gradually increasing level of carbon dioxide? It didn't even make a dent. Okay. So this 20% is something they were trying to get out of the Paris Climate Agreement, saying it would save the world. But it happened automatically. I mean, it was less airplane flights, less a lot of things. And so now we have the data, and it didn't make any difference. Which, which by the way, it, it proves my theory is correct. Namely, we don't, we're not causing any problem. So that's just one of the many things that are happening right now. For myself included, and those who are going to listen later. Could you elaborate more on how the planet has it generates its own CO2 and that really we're not us human beings aren't the main reason why climate change isn't happening, I guess, so to speak. I mean, like what, what's the dividing factor that differentiates us from the planet actually going through climate change on its own versus us like enacting it? Well, we all know the Al Gore theory. He made it very simple. We emit carbon dioxide from our SUVs and other energy generation. It goes into the atmosphere. And yes, if we take the measurements since 1959, show that the concentration in the atmosphere of carbon dioxide has been going up. That's true. Okay. Now, the second piece of that is that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. So the more we have, the hotter it's going to be. Okay. And the third part is if it gets hotter, all kind of bad stuff happens. <laughs> and so there's kind of three steps to the whole thing. Yeah. And so people say the bad stuff is happening, therefore we caused it, which is bad logic because what happens doesn't prove its cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not causation. Yeah. So that's a simplistic theory. So how do you argue it? Now, I, scientists like me say, well, we can take it a step at a time. We first question how much of that increase do we really cause, which has been my focus, mainly. And there are others that have focused on the greenhouse gas thing, 
and say, well, if even if we did cause that increase, how much heating would it cause? And that comes out to be a very small number, by the way. So even if we cause it, it's small. And even we're not even causing the increase, right? And then when they talk about bad stuff happening, like the effects of getting too hot, um, turns out the effects of getting too cold, just as bad or worse. So either way, anything when the climate is changing up or down naturally, there's gonna be some bad things and some good things. Mm -hmm. So if you just pick out the bad things, that's your argument. It's, it's an invalid argument. But how, how do we approach it? Maybe you're asking more than that. How do we approach this kind of thing? And I think I may have the, probably the best approach on that. That's what scientists, other scientists tell me. In essence, I, I just go to take the IPCC journal, you know, their publications, and look at what they say. And I, I show their chart in my book, right? Here's this whole thing of the carbon cycle. And they split the carbon cycle up properly into natural and human. And they can be treated independently, as I showed, and you can add them up later. Now, on the natural carbon dioxide and natural carbon cycle, arguably the IPCC may have the best data available. <clears throat> so I just take this as, okay, I mean, they, they spent billions of dollars. I, I as a one side, as I'm not going to go find all the errors in their data. Yeah. I just say, I just say, okay, fine. I'll accept their data. But what are the consequences of their data? So I say, I'll buy their natural carbon cycle. I create a mathematical model, which, I mean, I've done this for years. This is for my PhD thesis on, it's my game, right? I create a mathematical model that incorporates the necessary physics and it replicates IPCC's natural carbon cycle. So now I've got a tool the IPCC doesn't have because they don't have a model like this. Mm -hmm. Now with that model, I can calculate the effect of human carbon dioxide. Okay, it is, it is put the amount of human carbon dioxide in where there's, there's data on how much humans are adding every year. So I put it in to the calculations. The key is I let it flow out of the atmosphere just like natural carbon dioxide flows out of the atmosphere. And IPCC's natural carbon cycle tells you exactly how it flows out. Yeah. So I say our carbon atoms have to be just like natural carbon atoms. Do that. And all of a sudden, their whole human carbon cycle that they promote is complete fiction. They didn't use any math. They just said, we're causing it all. They just said, here's how much it is. This is total Mickey Mouse stuff. So it, it, I, as I showed the contradictions, in other words, of their own data. 
Yeah, that's all possible clear now that they basically have their own data on there for anybody to use properly. Right. That, that's what it is. That would end up just disprove, disproving themselves and their stance itself. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's not that complicated. Yeah. I mean, I could teach this, the, math, the level of the math and physics I'm using to make that step. I could teach to a good high school student. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a PhD to figure it out, right? No, it doesn't. I could, you know, if the reasonably bright high school student understands math, a little physics. And if I had about an hour for about a week, I could take them through these steps and they would know exactly what I'm doing and understand it. So, in other words, it's not, it's not the rocket science level type stuff. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, I remember reading a few years ago that I forgot where I read it from. I believe it was the EPA's website during the Obama administration, if I'm not mistaken, where I, just out of curiosity, I wanted to look at a list of what components rank of emitting the most CO2 emissions. And like they had, you know, automobiles as the first ones. And then the second one, which yeah. surprised me, was electrical components. So it was basically cell phones, computers, electrically powered anything really. Right. It struck me as odd, but I was like, well, why is there such a hard push for electric vehicles to eventually one day where everybody can drive an electric vehicle? Like, how do we know that's not yeah. Target after that, right? You know what I mean. It, it's like, well, then yeah. are we just going backwards to eventually saying, well, we we gotta stop using electrical vehicles? It's like, all right, well, what do you want me to use? Use a bicycle. All right, so, right. <laughs> and then you have to eat more food that causes more carbon dioxide. Anyway, so, yeah. um, all right. I mean, the whole electric car thing, from the climate viewpoint, right? From this viewpoint. You know, first of all, I understand how in engineering and all this kind of stuff, there's a lot of simplicity in the vehicles. They'll have a normal market to be competitive with the you know, combustion engines that we use. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different game. But to justify electric vehicles based upon trying to save carbon dioxide, well, can't be done, right? Yeah. Because... I mean, you say, you know, the computers that we're looking at right now, we're burning electricity. That electricity gets generated someplace. Mm -hmm. And the, the generation of that, whether it be gas, coal, oil, even wind, they're going to be producing whatever carbon dioxide it is. So you take a car and plug it in to get the battery charged. It's somewhere at the other end of the line, there's something generating carbon dioxide with the energy in the car. Well, this is like a, something I brought up with a friend the other day when we were talking about electric vehicles versus combustion vehicles. I was like, yeah, I mean, from their viewpoint, a combustion engine, you know, ran on gasoline, I mean, yeah. would be worse for the environment, but in the long run, it turns out that electric vehicles are a lot worse for the environment because 
nobody, the common person like me, if I were to drive an electric vehicle, which I would never do and don't ever plan on doing, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to store the battery once it's dead and gone. I mean, I wouldn't do it myself personally, but I could just see a whole lot of people that don't know yeah. how to dispose of the battery and just throwing it right in the garbage in the landfill. And that's a battery. Yeah, right. The soil. Right. So it's a big problem. It's sit there for X amount of years in that landfill, just yeah. throwing everything around it as the battery itself is decaying. Sure. Right. So, I mean, unless if we were to all revert back to riding bicycles and riding horses, which nobody's going to do. Right. I mean, for a long period of time, people are still going to be driving around in cars with combustion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it does strike me as odd, though, how so many people are pushing for electric vehicles to help the environment out. And honestly, I'm not even against electric vehicles. I'm all for anybody wanting to drive whatever mode of transportation they want, have it yeah. the way they want. I go ahead, you know, make it a true competition, you know, right. You know, have a, have a competition of resources, you know, from electricity to gasoline. So hopefully one day we have nuclear powered cars, but that's yeah. way down the line. Right. But I mean, to just all of a sudden just try and stop half of society for the sake of trying to help the environment out when nobody even really knows like what's the most efficient and quality assuring way to help the environment out. I mean, everybody says wind and solar and you, you need to have perfect conditions all the time to have those things working all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, wind energy is not a solution. It doesn't really reduce carbon dioxide. I mean, just to produce the machines, to install the machines, and all the concrete base that has to be put in is using as much carbon dioxide for the energy generated as any other way that we generate it. So they're no, they're no cleaner overall than a gas you know, generation plant. Now, I mean, I, I, I mean, the way we're going to do electricity properly in the future will be with nuclear fusion, right? Or some other form of nuclear. Uh, and that, that's coming someday, but I mean, that's a real solution. That, that'll get out of, that won't be putting out carbon dioxide. But right now, the same people that want to stop the coal boring plants, they don't want nuclear either because they don't like the radioactivity. But the new nuclear power plants, and there's some that don't generate you know, the nuclear residue and nuclear fusion does not generate the residue. So overall, we have a very clean future in technology well ahead of us, but it'll come someday. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'll see it in my lifetime without question. It'll definitely happen. It just depends how we get there. And right. yeah. how we get there is a lot more important than accomplishing the goal of getting there. Because yeah. like, like anything else, and, and one of my 
all-time favorite book, which is by Thomas Sowell. It's called Knowledge and Decisions. And one of the basic premises of that book is the most important part of a decision is not really the decision itself. It's really who's in charge of making that decision because they have a lot more at stake than those who gain from the decision being made. Right. And with this week and the infrastructure bill being passed, I don't know a whole lot about it, but from what I've been hearing and reading around on like the few reliable resources I've been going to, it really bothers me that there's such a push for wind and solar when just this year in Texas, when there's that winter storm that basically every county in Texas couldn't even have power. And yet they had spent billions of dollars on wind and solar energy and ended up just failing them overnight. Yeah, right. And I mean, it, it sell people to on, hey, look, if there is a climate crisis or a climate change going on, but it is nowhere near that bad. Right. How do you even sell it to them in like plain language? Because not every person would, would read your book and understand a lot. Of, and it's actually easy. I understood most of almost everything in there. Right. Most people won't click a link if I were to send them to it or even understand the jargon behind the science itself because most people, yeah. yeah. Like how, how can you and I sell a regular person that climate change really isn't human generated? Yeah. Well, the, what I try to do in my book, and I think I accomplished it, is that I tell people, you don't have to become a climate expert to understand the climate debate and to know what's going on, right? I mean, that would be silly. I mean, not everybody's going to get PhDs in climate, right? It won't happen. And I'd be silly if they did. But so I said, there's the logic behind the argument. And that's what I'm trying to show in my book. So I, I'm trying to present the logic through there, how the way you think about the big picture, so people can catch on and say, oh, yeah, now I understand what we should be thinking about this. Mm -hmm. So that's the main idea. I mean, one of them is what? Events don't prove their cause. So toss out all this stuff you hear about bad stuff happening because that doesn't prove we cause it. And there's two kinds of scientists, in fact. I figured out that on a bunch of other scientists that, you know, there's a group of people like me, maybe about 800 to 1,000 around the world. We're on an, an email list thing, constant communication and all that. <clears throat> They said, you know, that's correct, because most of the people that are called climate scientists by government, they use the ecologists, they use somebody that's just looked at the effects of the science. And from my viewpoint, that doesn't make anybody an expert in climate. It, they just go on, they say, well, this causes that and causes that. It's the cause scientists like me and there's probably one of us to the hundred of the other ones. <laughs> okay, whatever. 
the cause is a little bit harder. It is physics, right? So we've got to get away from thinking that some vote on scientists, which includes pediatricians and everyone else on climate, has any meaning whatsoever. It doesn't, right? Yeah. But people can think for themselves if they have a few clues as to what, how to think it through. I mean, one question I've asked, I mean, this is before I even had read your book. I, when I had doubts about, I guess, you know, climate change myself, I would just look around, read, you know, read articles, try and get yeah. as much information as I could from resources that I trusted. And I would say for a long time, I really believed climate change was human generated. And eventually I came to like a really hard conclusion, like maybe it's not because I just thought to myself, you know, granted there are 7 billion people on earth, but if you were to just take the planet earth itself and think how long it's been around for or after all it's been through. Yeah, a lot. It's been through a lot. Like the, like the, planet, the physical planet itself in the atmosphere is a really powerful I, I don't know what word I could find for. I want. I was about to say entity, but it's not like just an entity. It's really like a really powerful. Um, I guess like place of existence, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The small blip on that place of existence, which is planet Earth. Yeah. It's been through so much, and for all of a sudden just to come to a screeching halt because of us doesn't seem really likely to me. Yeah. And the other thing where I thought about was like, okay, like whenever I like heard, well, before it was global warming and then it disappeared for a year and then it came back as climate change. Yeah. That's funny. But like climate change is such a vague description of what's happening where I went back into the resources I went to and looked around and whatnot and thought, okay, if it is happening, like to like what degree is it happening? I mean, is 4% of the environment affected? Is it 20%? Is it 80%? I would ask this question legitimately to like friends of mine and they would get mad, some of them, and, but they could never give me a number. And I'm yeah. like, uh -huh. how, do I, how do I know like climate change is more, more prevalent or more noticeable in one part of the world? say here in the United States, just because there's such a diversity of geography here from mountains to rivers to the Great Lakes where I'm at, to Australia, which is very barren in the center of it, to coastline throughout the entire island of Australia. I mean, it, you have such a diversity and inequality of geography. It's hard to even measure varying degrees of climate change at all. Right. You know, like how, like, to what degree is it? And I would never get a, a solid answer from anybody or I get some people mad at me. And I'm like, I'm asking a legit question. I'm not even being confrontational here. Like, yeah. I just want to know. And then I eventually I came to the conclusion of, of thinking, well, if the planet Earth has been around for billions of years and we've only been around for barely 100,000 years, give or take 30 of it, I mean, we're nothing you know, compared to the planet, like the planet Earth is right. So, well, the planet Earth is so powerful that for yeah. just some beings that walk around on two legs, 
and half of the planet population all it wants to do is just go to work and doesn't really care about the climate itself i mean for us to just do excessive unreparable damage doesn't seem likely to me yeah i think you talk kind of about two different things and i'll talk about that one was the earth itself what kind of a thing is it and the other is how come people kind of want to believe that we're causing the climate change so as far as the earth it goes from a science viewpoint i call it a an engineering viewpoint same thing you say it's a complex system a lot of interactions but it's a stable system okay mm -hmm. if there's too much if the sun gets hot evaporates more water from the oceans causes more clouds reflects the sunlight cools the earth off okay less sun if that you know there less evaporation fewer clouds more sunlight gets through and so the whole event, I just mentioned one example, the function of clouds. More clouds cool us down. Fewer clouds, you get hotter, right? But it works in a way that no matter which way you push it, it comes back to the center. It's, I mean, the stability idea, imagine you have a, a, a bowl face like that and you put a golf ball on it, right? If you move it just a little bit, it goes over. That's unstable. But if you have a bowl this way, you go like this, let go, it goes, boom, 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 boom. It, there's a stable point where it goes back. That's how the earth acts climate-wise, okay? It could get pushed from well, all kinds of things, continental movement, whatever, right? But it comes back and there's a certain stability. And even historically, we can look at, the, uh, there's good isotopes that measure temperature, for, long, for example. You may have seen these graphs where we can go back millions of years and find, okay, there were times when the Earth was maybe 8C Celsius hotter than today. We're, we're in a cool time. Uh, that the dinosaurs were around during a warm period of time, right? Mm -hmm. And now we have a cool time. But it, it's locked in. You don't see historically where something goes out. It, it doesn't come unglued, okay? If, put it this way, if, our car, if we generate carbon dioxide and if carbon dioxide causes more heating, and if heating, as they say, is generating more carbon dioxide, this is their theory, it's a runaway effect. It can't happen, right? Or we wouldn't be here if there was a runaway effect. It's stable, right? The, the long-term stuff, people have shown coincidentally, is the path of the Earth through our galaxy. When we're near one of the spiral arms and going through it, it could take a few million years to get through. There's a lot of cosmic rays, okay? Cosmic rays, more clouds. Earth is cooler. You get outside the spiral arms, fewer cosmic rays, fewer clouds. Earth gets warmer. Dinosaurs flourish, okay? All that sort of thing. So there's, there's modes that 
that are driven astronomically. That's the big picture part. So there's just a ton of stuff like this. But, But the human part you mentioned, I think it's sort of built into the human DNA somehow that when stuff happens with the weather or whatever, we have this kind of feeling maybe we caused it. In fact, that's why I put that little joke in my book. I don't know if you saw it somewhere. I don't know if I can find it, but anyway. Yeah, there it is. Remember this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I just saw that as, hey, way back, you know, Ice Age ending must be our fault. But look at the Aztecs. They, they seriously thought that more human sacrifices would make more rain. I mean, I live in Detroit, so I don't know if you've ever been here. Yeah. I mean, there's a joke here like, yeah, climate change is on a crisis level here because we've all seen it here. Right. In the same week, snow, 80 degrees, rain, spring, rain, and then winter, weather all over again, and then it turns into degrees. Right. One week. Right. If there's a climate crisis anywhere in the country, it's definitely happening here, but nobody's complaining about it. <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah, there's the emotional thing. I, I know the people that kind of go off on the believer end, they are totally emotional. They just feel it's happening. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, it's happening more now than before. But they don't have a record to show that. So there's a lot of things people do that aren't factual, aren't scientific. It's feelings. And there's a lot of feelings going on in this climate. I, I agree. I, I told a close friend of mine the other day on the phone that right now, it just seems like the political and cultural climate, especially online and on social media, yeah, really does just boil down to two groups. It's the emotional and the experience. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. And I mean, there are people I know that have college degrees that are more of the experienced types. They can, they know not to let their emotions get the best of them. And then there are people with college degrees that let their emotions get the best of them all the time. Yeah. When those emotional people can just attach themselves to something as existentially impossible, like climate change. Yeah. I mean, those are the hardest people to try to convert away from that. And I mm-hmm. think the book is really important to get out there, which is why I reached out to you to do an episode. Because I mean, if someone, if I were to find anybody else that had a book out there, like debunking it, like Bjorn Lomborg, I mean, mm-hmm. his information would just be a lot more different than your information. Cause his is more from the economic perspective and people yeah. don't, People that are really religious about the climate and the earth in general don't like to talk about the earth and climate in economic terms. They, you know, I don't even know if they like to talk about it in scientific terms even. Yeah. But they really do not like talking about it in economic terms. And I, and I think somebody like Bjorn Lomborg is the last person that they want to talk to about that. Lomborg wrote a good book. Well, no. I mean, he, come, he, he accepts the climate change theory, right? Mm-hmm. He has no basis to, to challenge it. So he accepts what the IPC says that we're causing all this problem. But then he goes through the economics. Mm-hmm. And he said, the idea of spending this much money here 
is a total waste because it, it explains all the econ economics of the whole thing. So even if we're causing all the problems, all the reactions being proposed don't make sense economically. I mean, I've, I myself have learned like you, you can either respond or you can react. And the two are very different. So anytime a reaction happens, whether by a single person or an entity that's governmental, yeah. it, it's never a good thing anyways. And what Lombard talks about in his book, False Alarm, is constant government reactions to things that really, no matter how much money they spent, they wouldn't even be able to fix it in the first place. Or the first place. Right. I mean, it's... um. Here's a question I just thought of. Long term, short term, it's pretty much already a lost battle. But yeah. long term, do you think more people eventually will kind of wake up to thinking, rethinking climate change or the climate crisis and saying, okay, I've been on Earth long enough and it actually has never gotten to that? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it actually isn't happening. The, do yeah. you think the shots were at winning that. <clears throat> I don't think so. Well, don't. It's it's really trying to judge human nature and political nature. Yeah. Because the, the politics is controlling the way people think. Mm -hmm. The schools control the way people think. Um so who knows? But I mean I I remain optimistic that the messies of the scientists on my side will eventually get out and take out. And, and so sanity may get restored someday. I, I think that can happen, but I can't predict politics. Yeah. And I, I should say like anybody else, I can't predict the future, but, but anyway, <clears throat> the politics is gonna really control it. Um, we had a chance, maybe, like if if somebody like like Trump would have continued, even though he wasn't, he had didn't have climate totally figured out, but he at least was open to this whole side that that I promote. Whereas uh, with Obama or Biden, there's just absolutely no way my message gets through very far. So I just hope to capture the private audience and gradually get through that way. Yeah, I mean, your last chapter basically was about how our freedoms are dwindling at the, you know, at the expense for the environment. And I was thinking to myself after I had finished the book for a few minutes, I was sitting there and thinking, how do you even measure how much better the environment got based on how much freedom we lost as individuals. You know, I mean, like, you can measure how much freedom you lost based on how many things you can do without a government entity coming in your way and saying, you can't do this. That can be measured. But to, like, measure the, like, the health of the environment and saying it was worth this much freedom just doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to relate somehow. It just You're right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it, it's like... It makes me weary because it's like so many more people now are so willing to give up so many things 
Right. It's something that can't even be measured in the future. Yeah. It, it's like, Paul, you mentioned the climate all over the earth is different. And is there any way that anyone can assign a benefit value to the way the climate is, right? Mm -hmm. It's too complex. I mean, even your economics background, you're going to say, well, wait a minute. You can't just take temperature, whatever it is, and assign a benefit value to a certain temperature. It won't happen. There's too many other things involved in the benefit. You can have all kinds of temperature and show benefits and non-benefits. So it's not that simple. Um, that um, might be relevant. If yeah. somebody were asking questions, what would they want to know about our discussion? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a really dense question that I asked that has an answer that could go any direction it wants to. But one of the things to ask is, <clears throat> ask just in general. As far as a scientific theory goes, why does the government have to get into saying this one's correct and this one's not correct? If the government gets into it, it means it's politics. Yeah. You know, Russia went through Lysenkoism. Went through what? Lysenkoism. The guy in Russia in, um, what, 50 years ago or so? <clears throat> 100 years ago. In genetics, Lysenko was a scientist in Russia. And he made the proposal that acquired characteristics get passed on to children, okay? Mm -hmm. Where real biology says that can't happen, right? Mm -hmm. By the case of Russia at that time, it was in the government's favor to go with what Lysenko said politically. So they gave money to people like him and they shut down the rest of Russia's genetic science industry. And now, of course, they know it was giant. It took them a whole generation to recover. It, it helped Russia that they did not shut down physicists because they wouldn't have any military today. But they did shut down for a generation that whole genetic study because they promoted a false theory. And now we have this whole thing about carbon dioxide causing climate change. If it were just left to science and let the scientists knock it out without funding one side, killing one side, promoting one side, I don't think we'd have the same climate problem we do today. People would begin to understand what's happening. Yeah. So it's really been promoted by government. And the United Nations is a core part of it. But America funds the United Nations, 90% or something. Um, so the climate politics that we live in today is really government made and caused to be made by at least a few people at the top. I guess it goes back to 
earlier in the conversation when I mentioned knowledge and decisions, the most important part of a decision making process isn't the decision itself. It's actually who's making the decision. Yeah, right. That's it. And that was it right there, the way you just explained it. Yeah, right. So <clears throat> that's where we stand today. And the field that I went into long time ago, for most of the time, it was true science. But then, like I mentioned, somewhere around 1980, it changed into politics. And um, there's a big difference yeah. between a political driven science and just basic science. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you won't catch me driving a Tesla anytime soon, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So I think I'm going to make a big breakthrough with this, this latest paper. That I put it as a preprint on my website by tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you could email me the link, I'll put it under the caption on my podcast page on my YouTube channel. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that. Oh, okay. Listening to this could actually read the article as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, the information as I get it ready. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. Um, so I guess on that note, I'll conclude it here. But All right. Dr. Ed Berry, author of Climate Miracle, thank you for your time and thanks for listening, everybody, to my podcast. And see you next time. Well, thank you very much, Lance. Appreciate talking to you.